We are uh, going through Colossians right now. And um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, my man Selson will be passing out Bibles. Uh, we're going to get to work, so we want you to have the Bible. Uh, we want to not, you know, I think when, as we do life as covenant people, we can kind of um, get, we can kind of lose the zeal of looking at the Word, studying it, uh, especially in time like this together. And, and we, need to, uh, we need to, like, build that muscle and make sure that we never come here or to God's scriptures flippantly, uh, but we come really excited and wanting to learn. So with that said, we want you to have Bibles, not just because that's just a religious thing to do, you know, at a church service, you pull out the Bibles, but because we want us to be staring at the scriptures, looking at the word, interpreting it accurately, applying it to our lives, and, to, and, and going through uh, those exercises for the glory of God. So if you don't have your own Bible, uh, get a Bible, and then um, you can turn your, hopefully, I think your program's either on the side or uh, to the back or open them, and it should be a part where you can write down notes um, as we get to work uh, to understand um, what God is saying to us and to hopefully during this time, take myths out of our lives that we've um, placed in our minds as truth and to uh, worship Christ more accurately than when we came in here. Okay, guys? All right, so let's get to work. Um, We're talking about a passage here today. I'm going to, and you're going to need your Bibles because as we're talking, we're going to be talking, referring to the passage, uh, but the passage will not be up here all the time. So you want to be able to see what I'm saying uh, and be able to refer to the specific text or the specific verse uh, so, it's making, so it's making sense. So, for example, if you look here, we're beginning our discussion by, by doing a look at, at slavery in the Roman world. Because right now, uh, as, we, as we've said throughout the last couple of weeks, is that Paul is providing us with an understanding of how do the people of God um, act practically. That basically, your expression of your devotion to Christ, your re- the reality of your worship to Jesus, uh, I love what Paul is doing here, is he's saying he brings it down to the ground level. And he's saying it's not necessarily just uh, these theological premises, but you really reveal the seriousness of your heart through how you practically live because Christianity is done on the ground, right? It's not about here's this theology and if you know it, you're cool. But Paul is saying people who love Jesus live like Christ. They live a certain way, uh, being filled and led, and led by the Spirit of God. And so now we get to these different passages about uh, how do you treat people in your family? How do you treat your wives? How do you treat your kids? How do you treat uh, those who are in slavery? And so we're going to parse that out a little bit. We're going to bring it hopefully to this day and age, and hopefully we'll learn more about Jesus and ourselves. So right here, uh, he begins by saying, bond servants obeying everything. So he's talking in the sense of, of, of slaves in this time, uh, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, uh, fearing the Lord. Uh, first thing, when we look at uh, slavery in the Roman world, um, the difference, uh, obviously, from, from what we're talking about now, which I would say uh, the equivalent because of new creation is an issue of employment, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the difference is first, as a slave, obviously, you had no choice. Okay? Uh, continue on. Um, it was obviously a cruel system uh, reflected, and, and, what, and what's interesting is, is, we, is that the system actually reflected the immorality of the whole society. Uh, and, that, and that'll speak to the point that I'm going to make in a moment about slavery. And slaves were equivalent to an animal uh, or seen as equivalent to animals uh, in the first century, especially um, within the Roman time period, okay? Uh, so they were basically, the difference between the animal and these guys and, and slaves was uh, slaves could actually communicate. 
Uh, that's what you would find in antiquity and extra biblical resources. So that's what was seen. That's what was how slavery was seen um, back during those times. Now, the question is, why then, if that's the case, why does the Bible not speak against slavery? Because that just seems kind of foul, right? And we struggle with that. I Me, mean, African-American man, I'm very wanting to understand that whole concept. Because um, the sad reality is you got crazy folk thinking that even with slavery happened in our, in our country is actually justified um, from the scriptures. Um, well, I want to first, um, this, this fight fair, and I want to propose the reason why it is not con- uh, condemned is because slavery uh, is not evil in itself, okay? You go, whoa, what's up with that? Well, <laughs> a couple of the brothers are like, hold on, man. So, yeah, slavery, I'm going to prove this in a moment. Slavery is not evil in itself. Continue on, please. Uh, it is evil when evil men violate God's explicit directions, Okay, for what God was trying to do with this concept of slavery. It was not what you see in the first century. It was not what you see how the Romans provided uh, their, how they acted out what slavery was to be. It was not even how the Hebrews of old disobeyed God and handled slaves. Okay, there are specific mandates and aspects to what Jesus says in the Old Testament of how slaves are to be treated. Uh, So here's... Here's an issue here. Uh, first of all, I was proposing the Mosaic Law. What God does is he allows slavery for God purposes. Okay, so slavery um, came about, and it was even before these times. But when Jesus, when the Father brings slavery into uh, these covenant people, he's trying to make some, some points, some redemptive markers. And first is this. Uh, in, in Deuteronomy 20, and you'll see this also throughout the Pentateuch, is that the Father is, is basically in telling the people of God uh, whom he saw had who had ethnic distinction. He, he picked these people for no reason but because he wanted to show his renown and his fame. And then what he does is he, uh, he enslaves those who are not Israelites um, throughout the Pentateuch in the Old Testament. Uh, the reason, the main reason why he does that is he says, um, it's not because of you or anything you've done or your purity, but it's because of their sin. So one of the reasons that God uses slavery uh, in the Old Testament is to protect the Israelites, his people, from people who are actually continually sinning against the Father, okay? So it was actually an issue of him, people sinning against the Father. But even in that, now what we do is we hear that and then we take the framework of what we think slavery is and we impute that into what you think God did. But no, now you got to say, okay, so God says, I want these people to be slaves because of what they've done to you and what they've done to me. They've sinned against a holy God. But now, let me give you all these rules of how to treat even these people. And that's a distinction. And so you see God providing a lot of, uh, I mean, there's, there's from the point of people, if they're able to leave, uh, he lets them leave. They're, we're going to talk about some of, the, some of the rules in a moment. So first, I'm just proposing that God allows it for his purposes. Another, another means of his purpose is uh, restitution could be made. It was kind of like a welfare system where individuals who owed money or who owed stuff, that slavery was the means for them to be able to pay off that and to be freed from debt, okay, and to be freed from having uh, an outstanding wager against them, okay? Also, uh, and, and also one goal was to train the one, which I would propose as a cousin, what we just said, uh, that slavery was placed, God used it to actually train people who, uh, who did not handle their freedom right, who did not handle their stuff right, to say hopefully by you being enslaved and having to deal with being a, uh, being a slave to someone and working these things off, that next time when you are free, you will handle your stuff in a better way. 
that make sense? Okay, so it was, so the goal was for people to experience, like, the pain of what that looks like to be enslaved and say, okay, now when I'm freed up, I, I'll act right with my money, and I'll act right with how I treat other people, and I'll act right with my stuff and my debt. That makes sense? Yeah, Caleb. But it was, well, but it was, I was saying, yeah, and, and, and every time we use a word to try and determine it today, to determine it from our framework now, what I want to do is I want to push back and say, but you've got to define what Jesus says what slavery was going to look like practically through the Old Testament. You've got to see all the different rules and the stipulations that he provides as a framework of making sure people are still treated with value, dignity, purpose, and worth even when they're enslaved. Okay, and that what you get on all the TV shows and in our, in our, in our flawed history and in the history of all kind of different people groups is you get a man-centered way of looking at slavery versus God trying to bring about repentance, trying to bring about awareness to what does it look like for them to bear God's image well and to hopefully even bring people to up and to hopefully have proselytes, right? If a Jewish uh, owner has a, a non-Jewish slave and treats him or her very well, it, t- it says that even when they're able to be free, they can say, I want to stay and be part of your people because I love how you treated me and I love your God. So it's always to lean toward like, man, I was treated better with you as a slave than I was treated in a free world because why is that? Yahweh. Well, can I know Yahweh too? So at some level it was evangelistic. It was never supposed to be, oh my goodness, you own someone, not treat them like crap. Okay, so some of the stipulations, again, the hardest thing for me, I couldn't get into all the specifics and give you all the verses. I would be here all day. All I could do is give you some snapshots and hopefully whet your appetite to want to go back to the scriptures and see uh, what God says about how to treat slaves. And we can talk about, I can give you more markers of that, you know, later on or, or in our discussion time. And if you're new, as you notice, we ask questions in our body, so feel free to do so as you think it, it would encourage the people of God and encourage your walk with Christ, okay? So the way people were enslaved, continue on, buddy. Um, was that was that was another distinction, and it was like the treatment of the slaves. Leviticus, Leviticus 25 uh, talks about just certain aspects of the treatment of slaves. Uh, basically, it was again. I mean, some of it was harsh, some of it was not. Uh, obviously, you couldn't kill slaves. Uh, you had to have uh, time, time restrictions. You couldn't keep slaves forever. They, they hopefully paid things off, and in their seventh year, they were freed up. And the heart behind that was again uh, just understanding their dignity, value, and worth. Okay. So slavery in the gospel, because the question is how, man, this is so crazy. How does that point to the gospel? I propose it actually does point to the gospel. Um, here, here's why. Um, so the Old Testament laws are basically a redemptive marker. We kind of know that, right? We know that theologically, like that these laws, uh, although uh, that they're, they're not bad in themselves, but they're undone. And they kind of, they kind of, they kind of make us want something more. Okay, uh, so that's the first point. And so now this is how they're a redemptive marker, family. The Israelites is God's people. Remember them. They come. God chooses them as his people for no reason but because he's just God like that, right? He's like, I'm going to choose. And he chooses like a weak people. He didn't choose the, the big timers, right? He didn't choose the people who are running things. He chooses goofballs. And he does that. 
And he says, I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to choose a geographic place. And so he, he makes a distinction with the people of God, both ethnically, politically, and geographically, right? He does that, and he does that because he's going to show his power. He's going to protect these people. He's going to grow these people up. He wants these people to point to him, and he wants these people to be holy. So that's what the goal was, okay, uh, in the beginning, was for, for, for it to be almost like a come-see religion. Come see this Yahweh, and then come want to be part of Yahweh, okay? Um, but slavery, I would propose, was another marker uh, for distinction and practical use. We just talked about it a little bit uh, there where, where you would, he would enslave people and hopefully you can see some sense of, of, of an evangelistic posture happening because treated, people were being treated well, but they were still having to pay off their debt. Uh, you know, they had been captured. They were kind of the booty for some of the lands that were captured. So they would gather the people and make them their slaves, but you would treat them with dignity. And hopefully um, as time went on and they were able to experience freedom, they would want to be back under your fold. Um, but what happens here, as, as the father allows this, 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 this slavery distinction, I'm sorry, he allows the distinction as God's people, and he allows slavery also to point to that distinction, then Jesus comes, and he doesn't undo the Old Testament law because it's bad, uh, but because what, what God is doing is he's saying that although the markers have always been sort of like geographic, political, and ethnic, what, God, what Jesus does is he says, I'm going to actually blow this whole thing up, continue on. Jesus does, what he does is he rejects this whole concept of an earthly kingdom, which shows itself in, in, um, in land mass, in, in the choosing of people groups, in, in the choosing of political affiliations or ideologies. And then Jesus says, I'm blowing all that up. And what I'm going to usher in is a, is a New Testament. I'm going to usher in a spiritual kingdom that actually has no boundaries. It has no boundaries politically. It has no boundaries ethnically. It has no boundaries geographically because the earth is his. And so what he says is, I'm going to blow all that up. And what I'm going to do is it's going to have no boundaries. And the scope now is going to be love. Okay, and the universal scope of love is going to be the defining factor, and that's going to that's going to basically change the framework of people being motivated by threats, which is a lot of times what was happening in slavery. But now, as we even see Onesimus in the New Testament being motivated by love, he says, "Your brother you, you, in, in the New Testament, <clears throat> excuse me, you have Philemon uh, t- talking about Onesimus, who was um, uh, a guy uh, who was a slave." And now he becomes a Christian. And the scriptures say uh, that Paul is trying to encourage him that treat him as a brother because now he is your brother. And now you become motivated by love. And I propose to you, when that happens, in the midst of, that, in the, midst of the culture where there is slavery, and Paul is not uh, disaffirming slavery, but he's changing the whole framework by which you have slaves, which is all love, I'm proposing as time went on, Paul and Jesus knew that you couldn't have slaves in that way and talk about the motivation of love because eventually what will happen will change toward employment. Does that make sense? That, that based, on the, based on Jesus blowing that whole thing up and saying, now this is my brother, and although I want to help him and care for him, I'm not going to treat him like he's my property because I'm motivated clearly by love and God has not made any more distinction anymore, that, that at some level, it, w- it would almost force slavery to change its definition. It would force the, term, the, the, the vernacular. And I'm proposing that's what's happened because now uh, kind of the same desire for the father happens in an employment relationship. That's a lot of stuff. And, man, that's just the intro. So... But I hope that hopefully whets your appetite to, to look at slavery from an Old Testament perspective, 
to not get scared to talk about slavery and say, hey, okay, God, God had slavery. It was in the Old Testament, and God used it for redemptive purposes, but it was really to point to uh, the Father and how he was choosing the people out of nothing, how he was going to protect the people, and then how it was going to have things missing and that Jesus was going to not only complete but blow it all up and help to, and focus um, on what and, and focus the people on what we need to be about, and that is love. Okay. So that's what was happening uh, theologically. What was happening practically is people saw slaves as pieces of meat. They saw them as animals, and we, did hor- we do horrible things, okay? And with that said, you get these verses here. Because here's what Jesus desired, and here's what we are doing. And so Jesus wanted to say, hey, let's make sure we're not falling in line with the mindset of the world, okay? So I propose now, very, uh, it makes sense to now talk about slavery, not from the perspective of being owned, but in our day and age, I think the employer-employee relationship totally makes sense um, based on where I propose the kingdom we're taking thing, it, what is taking things in a perspective of slavery. Does that make sense to, as we continue to move forward? We, no, no one's, we're not slaves. We all have the freedom to quit our jobs or not now. We're in America. And so I want to talk about it from the perspective that we have, and that is employer-employee um, relationships. All right? And this is going to get kind of, hopefully, um, this will help us understand how we are to act as employees and employers, and hopefully build some convictions. Okay. Everybody still with me? That was a lot of stuff. All right. Praise them. Okay. So first thing. As you look at the text, you got your Bibles? See that in verse 22? We are to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, okay? So um, you can check this out. It says in another way in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. So here's a clear, this is just plain simple. We are to always obey our authority unless it contradicts Jesus, all right? So we're going to start with the ground there. If you have an authority in your life, if you are employed, uh, I'm proposing that the scriptures are saying you are to always obey your employer unless they are contradicting Jesus. All right? Now, are you just to obey and grumble, or talk about them, talk about her? Let's continue on. Notice, Paul says, on earth, I love that because you still have a higher authority, okay? And we were, I was talking to a friend about this. So, so God wants to always make that distinction that you and I, that our, our highest authority is Jesus. And so soon as they want us to compromise the gospel in some way, you are to have the courage to graciously disobey. I think we maybe could spend some time there because some of us, are, we're so fearful of man that we want to obey Jesus. But when this, kind, when, when this fork in the road happens, we actually choose to not say anything. And we choose to not be courageous. And I want to propose to you that you're not telling a gospel story when you choose to be neutral, when things are very adamantly against Jesus. Even, yeah, even as your, even as your employer is asking you to do things that contradicts the gospel. Okay. Uh, you can check out uh, 1 Peter 2, 18 uh, and t- through 20. Actually, um, can you stay there? Um, Turn it, let's turn it real quick, guys. Open your Bibles. Look at that passage. The scriptures say, check this out, guys. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, right? It's easy to respect people who are nice, treat you right, 
you know, buy half your lunch, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit it is if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you, are, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You see that? So this, the text is saying that you and I, when you have an employer, even if they're jerks, right, that you are called to obey them unless they are hindering the gospel, unless they're doing something contradictory to Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that kind of hard to swallow? Hmm? Anna? Good question. You know what? I'm pretty sure we're going to get to it, but just because we're getting all things new, I'm just going to go ahead and answer that question. Now, we had a big discussion about that in our MAG group because uh, we have some people going through that, that particular issue. Um, and the question was, when, when is there drawn a line, and I, and I want to phrase it in, in, one, in one theological way, where in them being jerky to you, they're committing sin against you, and almost now uh, the contract is, you know, is null and void. Okay, you're not, you're not asked to just be sit around and, and, and be treated like less than dignified. She's saying if they take your dignity, if they're, if they're doing things where they're sinning against you, and it's almost hindering you to being a steward of God, which now is allowing you to be in sin because God wants you to be a steward of yourself, like when do you draw the line and say, I need, I need to leave this scenario? And that's a hard one because, I, because it's a gray area in that some people, God has given an extra measure of faith in others to take more crap. You see what I'm saying? And the cool thing, and the cool thing is, is that in, this, in these relationships, you have the freedom to say, I'm going to leave, okay? And so you don't have to stay. However, if you, have, if you have given a contract, if you said, hey, I want to be at this job during this time, you as a Christian need to obey that. But when they now begin to treat you less than what you were defined even in your, in your expectations, I'm proposing that now all bets are off and now you have the freedom to stay or go. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's a, it's a gray area. It's harder because there's some people who can stay and take more and some people say, no, I think I'm, right now I can't sleep at night. This is crazy. I think I'm going to take a risk and I think I got to leave because you're treating me like, like I'm nothing. Just real quick, because I'm like, just because we got a lot, let me just let me hit a couple. Let me hit a couple more things, and hopefully I can fly through and I can get back to you guys. Um, but I hope that helps. Um, continue on, please. Now, not just only obey, obey, but if you look at the scriptures, to like and we even seen in our counterpart scripture to obey respectfully. Okay, now this is key: obey respectfully. So when you go to work. As a believer, you're called to be very respectful. Now, our purpose, I propose, our purpose is different, and because of that, we behave differently, right? Our purpose, we don't work just to get a check, right? It's part of your mission. It's part of, you, of God's, God providing you your mission field, and you work to obey Christ, right? The theology of work is from the Lord. Amen. Work is from Christ. It's, now, again, we always think because of the fall we work, no, because of the fall, work is horrible, okay? You work before the fall, all right? 
And so God wants you in the midst of that mandate, right? He wants you to redeem it through working well in a fallen world, okay? So we need to enjoy. We need to ask the Lord to help us understand how to enjoy something that he's mandated. Um, there's some scripture verses, some address for you to write down. Uh, and I propose, I, use, I put this anxious and excited to obey because like, that's the kind of the, the disposition in verse, in, verse 20, uh, in verse 22, guys. If you go back there, uh, not as way I serve as, um, as people pleasers, but sincerity, like anxious, like an excited. It's almost like this picture, uh, like the way he wants you to be obeying, it's like an urgency. It's like almost like a dog wagging its tail. Like, like, like you're wanting to obey so well. You're want, like it's a passion to obey. It's not a flipping like, man, he's a jerk. I guess I'll obey. Okay? Continue on, please. Now, I propose a gospel motivation here, family, is we demonstrate Christ's honor and behavior, and this is different than the world, right, regardless of any short-term consequences to ourselves. See, see the world tells us that we obey and we even, we even tolerate stuff because there's something that's coming soon or there's something that's coming from my initial reaction. And it's hard for us to think like Christ and say, you don't just wait, you don't do things because you know that you're going to have this reaction that you're going to provide, and then from that reaction, you're going to get this cool thing. Because that's not kingdom, that's not gospel. Gospel is crazy like that, right? Gospel is you might have this reaction and this reaction and this gospel reaction and this gospel reaction, and you still don't see any payment from any of that. But the world tells you, wait a minute, if I'm going to do this, then this better happen. And you'll be waiting a long time if we live life like that as Christians. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so God is saying you can't, you can't go in your job going, I'm going to do this, and thinking there's going to be a short-term benefit for you. Gospel obedience is just, is just sacrificial. Continue on, please. And, and, and speaking to all of us, right, we all struggle with this. That's why it's so quiet in here, right? Okay, so... The gospel, so Jesus is saying through Paul, he wants you to obey. He wants you to obey respectfully. You to respect your employer. And he wants you to obey sincerely. Oh, man. Come on, Paul. Look at this. Verse 22, you kidding me? Not by way of eye service. That's what people pleasers do. Anybody can look you in the eye and then obey and knowing like, I want to I beat you down in my heart. Right? That's worldly. He says, no, anybody can have external service. He says, no, the people of God, in the sincerity of heart, in the bowels of your heart, you really want this boss's best, and you want the job's best. In the depths of your heart, you want good for your company. You want good. You obey sincerely. You want to sincerely please this person. Isn't that that just deep? Isn't Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Praise the Lord. That, that's impossible, but not with God. The Holy Spirit says, no, you can do that. You can model that kind of gospel where you can go in day in and day out, being maligned and treated like, like, like people not respecting you well, and you say, I'm going to, Lord, I'm asking you to allow this gospel to go forth and be courageous and obey, obey sincerely and ask God, say, I don't care what the response is. I know what my Savior has asked me to do. Continue on, please. Always remember that, guys. It communicates falsities when you, when you, 
And communicate. When you have falsities in your submission, it, it just dishonors the Lord. When, there's, when you know that your submission is, is, is passive-aggressive, you know it's not like, man, I really want, your, I really want to honor Jesus. It's just, it doesn't tell the gospel story. You're telling a different story. It's always about Jesus. It's always about the gospel, what he wants to do in and through us. Continue on, please. We serve with true hearts, right? It speaks against external service that we normally produce. That's what we normally produce. That's what I produce in the flesh. If I'm spending time with the Lord, I can produce external service as a leader of this body. I'm telling you, we can do it as a pastoral team. And, and God is saying, no, Eric, you need to learn how to submit to the Savior, how to love with that great sincerity, right? With your employers, ask yourself, is that the kind of gospel love you're providing? Continue on. Look, how would you respond, guys, to that? How do you respond Ask that question right now. How would you respond to a boss who's unreasonable, he's egotistical, proud and ignorant? You know, you get some cats who's proud and in there don't even know stuff. They're ignorant. He's foolish, irresponsible. He's the boss and he's way, he's just lazy. He or she is lazy. And they got you doing all the work. How do you respond? As far as your, now hear me, not on if you'll leave or not, okay? That was, that was the other question. But while you're there, you hear me? Because a brother like me might dip, all right? I might go. But if you are there and you're not going to leave, how do you respond? Your answer to that, if your answer changed, if your answer changed based on them doing this or this, we're not getting what Paul is saying in the passage. He's saying no matter how they're treating you, your work ethic should never change. My work ethic should never change. It should always be fervent and passionate, and it should be submissive and meek, power under control. It should model the gospel. And if you're going to leave, leave. But you don't stop being gospel-centered in your display of worship to Christ in that job. Until the last day you stay. That's what Jesus is proposing to us, guys. That makes sense? Continue on, please. He moves on, guys. He moves on in verse 23. You see this? He says, now, not as people pleasers, not with eye service. You need to obey just sincerely. And and why? You're fearing the Lord. The Lord is your motivation. And it's not like fear of he's going to beat you down. It's an awe. It's an awe of like wanting to worship your king. It's like seeing, knowing who God is and knowing whom you really are serving. That's the cool thing. We go into these environments and we go, you know, you're my boss but you're not my boss. Continues on in verse 23. It says, Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Right? Now, uh, this passage here, you know, you can use in general, but I'm proposing in a context, he's talking specifically in this context of the working relationship. Okay? Um, whatever you do, do your work heartily, ask for the Lord rather for men. Um, it's not guilt-based, it's not constraining, but a passion. Continue on, please. This concept, I just want to talk about this whole heartily. I love this heart, like, the heartily word, that, that your, your obedience and your, and your work, your passion for work, it's supposed to be, by God's grace, heartfelt. Like it's supposed to come deep from deep inside. And some of us are at jobs we don't want to be at right now. You know, and I know that. And, and, and this, is, this is cool. As God is trying to continually give us perspective, 
while we're there on what we should be about and why we should be about it. Because about Christ. It says, continue on, go back, please. Ask those questions. Do you see your work as sacred? Do you see when you go to work that God, it's an opportunity to worship Christ? It's an opportunity. Here's a, here's a cool thing. You think about it. So I'm, a, I'm the pastor, you know, so me and Lee, we do the pastor gig. We got Mike, you know, we, this is what we do. Here's what's cool about you. So where God has us now is just different. It's like we're kind of a player coach now, right? Uh, we, we serve our neighbors. We're ministering. I minister when we go out anywhere. But my nucleus of the people I deal with is the body, all right? I'm here to shepherd you guys and make sure that we're all being equipped to go out. A big portion of your day is with those who might not even know Jesus. This is a different framework. It is what it is. All right, many of us are going into an environment where you are a missionary. You are one or the few people who are going to have an opportunity to display what does Jesus look like and why is he worth your life? You're going to be one of the few who's going to be able to help encourage some of the saints who are in the closet and help them to learn how to articulate King Christ in all aspects of culture and that there's no place where Christ can't be the subject of discussion. In the sense of you're talking about music or art or medic, medicine, whatever, we can bring up Christ because he's created it all. Modeling, teaching that. So you, God has given us these opportunities. I say that to say, man, hats off. But that's a stewardship piece as missionaries in that framework. That's what you guys are doing. When you're a dentist and you're a teacher and a doctor, when you're doing all these things, you're nurses. That's what you're doing. Engineers entrepreneurs, investors, all that. That's what you're doing. It's sacred, guys. What impression, considering that, what impression does your conduct and character at work make on unbelievers concerning Christ? When they see you, how do they talk about Jesus? It's a fair question, right? How's the, how's the med students talking about Christ because of your influence? They've seen you always talking about how much work you got. Oh, it's so hard. Right? What are they seeing? What are they seeing is this person who's not faking it, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, this, this girl, this guy seems immovable. Like they're joyous. I mean, this is hard for all of us, but man, they're, 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 they're focused on the task. They're encouraging the people around them. They're, they're asking cats, you want to pray? I mean, can you imagine? That's our opportunity. To tell the gospel story. Continue on, please. This whole concept of, of, God, of God pleaser uh, versus man pleaser. You got man pleaser in the last passage. I'm proposing God wants us to be uh, God pleasers, right? Other people can never be good enough to con- just continue on, please, to compare. See, here's the thing. We compare ourselves to people, and I'm proposing they're never good enough to compare for these two reasons. They're not our standard. They're not our motivation. People are not your standard. Why are you comparing yourself to people? Right? That's what happens when we get caught up in not wanting to serve and honor our boss. Right? There's, there's, some, there's, some, there's some arrogance there. You know, there's, I know better. You know, I, I can do it better. I, I work harder. Whatever you, you know, whatever you put, your, how, whatever, you know, platform you begin to build with your lies, God says, no, 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 you don't get it. First of all, that woman, that dude, that's, he's not your standard. She's not your standard. I'm your standard. And you got a messed up motivation. The motivation is the gospel. 
Not a paycheck. Continue on, please. So when you look at Ephesians 6, you write that down in your address, Ephesians 6, um, verse 8, guys. I want to propose to you uh, that the scriptures is trying to, the main thing he wants to do is he wants us to build, as he's saying these things, it's hard if you don't trust your Savior. Now, hear me. You're a believer and you love Jesus, but you're like, man, can I trust God for that area of my life? <laughs> right? So what Paul wants to do is he wants you and me, he almost wants to build trust through the scriptures that we can do these things he's asking us to do because of the God we serve. All right? And so, and that's what, and that, and that's what he's doing when you, when you go through the New Testament, you go through the epistles and the gospels, all God was doing throughout the text is he's trying to build our faith because God knows he's asking us to do some crazy stuff. Right? So he's like, let me, let me tell you how I am. Let me show you some miracles. Let me hook it up right quick. So when I ask you to do this, I'm saying, now remember, remember Matthew 6, Okay. <laughs> You can do this, all right? That's what he's doing in the text. I want you to remember that. When you're, reading, when you're reading the scriptures, God is just trying to give you historical testimony to his goodness so that you can live a life of faith. So I propose one of the biggies, and biggie for me, is the theology of contentment. You, it's going to be hard for you to obey Christ and for me to obey Christ in this manner if we don't have a, a robust understanding of what, what contentment looks like as a believer, right? If you're not content, in your stuff, and you're trying to get more money, and you're trying to get more stuff and more notoriety, you will sacrifice the purity of the gospel. Contentment's huge. So that's what he's talking about when he says, you know what, don't worry about what you're going to eat in you know, Matthew 6. That's what he's talking about when he's in 1 Timothy 6, and he wants us to have an understanding that I need to ask the Lord to allow me to be content. Whether, you know, I, I, whether I have, Paul says, whether I have plenty or whether I have not much at all. I'm learning to be content. That's what he's saying. Contentment removes the snag of greed, right? Is that it will always catch, catch your shirt and rip it, you know? And so that's what contentment allows, allows greed not to grab hold of you. And that's huge to have a gospel motivation in your work. I'm convinced of that. Show me a person who sacrificed the gospel and just talk for five minutes, and I'll show you all kind of ways they're not content because they needed something more than Christ, which is idolatry. But no, we live. So he wants us to have a robust theology of contentment, guys. He also wants you and me to have a robust understanding that we live for eternal purposes. We don't, that's the cool thing. The reason why we can do these things, the reason why we can go forth as missionaries in all of our different vocations and honor our bosses is because, man, we have a higher purpose. We have an eternal purpose. This is way bigger than you just getting a degree and working somewhere. Right? It's way bigger than that. The world does not tell you of me that. I mean, <laughs> right? But that's the reality. Work is not the end, fam. Gospel. Christ. Guys, if that's reality, the Lord is saying, I take care, he said, I'm taking care of you now. He says, he says, I'm taking care of you now. I'm giving you a reward for salvation. And he lets us live eternally with Jesus. And I'm just proposing, when God does all this through our scriptures, he's saying there shouldn't be any room for despair. That's the, I, I propose that, that's kind of the theological argument in the New Testament. So I'm doing this for you now. 
I've done this for you historically. I'm doing this for you as you continue in life. Because I've shown you all that, I want you to live a life of faith, and now you don't have to be despair. And that's why he says crazy things like, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. All that is just gospel incentive for us to take that radical line of radical love for the sake of Jesus. There's some more addresses. You can write those down. This will always be up online. I want to encourage you guys to get in the scriptures and wrestle with it in your Mac groups and in your personal time at home. Um, in Ephesians 6, 8, can you, yeah, thank you. So let's go to uh, verse 25. Um, Actually, let me read verse 24. So it says, you know, whatever you do, work heartily. In verse 23, ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Uh, you are serving the Lord Christ. And I'm proposing that all those different texts there are leaning toward God, trying to re, trying to take myths out of our lives um, as far as how we view reward, how we view what God is going to do for us. And then in verse 25, he says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So then he says, here's what I want you to be about. Here's why you can be about it, because I'm faithful and I will provide. I will hook you up, uh, which, by the way, rewards are, an ext- are a very clear biblical motivation for even what we do. I know that that doesn't seem super Christian, but it's absolutely biblical and it's absolutely Christian. Uh, people think they cannot think about what God's going to give them, and I'm going, God tells me all the time what he's going to give us. It's exciting to know that God will hook us up when we live a life of faith. Um, Verse 25, though, is saying the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And so uh, the question is, what is Paul saying here? He could be saying a couple things. Um, He could be saying uh, that in the natural realm, uh, what God does, he allows in the natural realm, when you're being disobedient and you're not caring for people well and you're not loving your bosses, that what happens is just the world, just the way the world is wired in Christ, that uh, bad things are going to happen to you, okay? I'm just giving you the theological framework of what people think this might be saying. Or it could be that God is going to supernaturally uh, make sure that you experience uh, great disparagement because of your disobedience. So it could be God saying he's going to supernaturally step in time and say in a sense of like, I'm going to move things around and make sure I make sure you get paid back for what you're doing to people because you have a bad work ethic. That makes sense? Or it could be uh, both, right? And I, and I propose to you, um, I think it's both in the sense that Proverbs and Galatians talks about both. It seems that the scriptures are saying we don't know what God does because here's the reality. Sometimes, you know, people, uh, Psalm 73, are absolute um, Horrible people in the work setting. They're, they're very, very bad bosses, very bad workers, and then they get blessed, Okay, Psalm 73. Why is there, I mean, that's what he's saying in Psalm 73. Lord, I'm working hard. I'm doing everything. I'm trying to do the right thing. I get to see the guy who's cheating on his exams and get to see the guy who's doing all these things, and he's always blessed. I'm not. Okay, so that's clear in Scripture. That happens sometimes. And so my, my point there is I think what, what Paul wants us to do is just know that we don't know how, how Jesus is going to work it out in balancing the scale, but that Christ is a God of justice, and he's a good Lord, and we can just trust that he'll take care of it the way he wants to take care of it. If that's mad grace where the person never gets found out, and then at 62 comes to Christ and falls in love with Jesus, don't get mad at God and say, why didn't you beat him up when he was 42? God says, don't worry about what I'm doing with people. Just know I'm good, and everybody will be handled the way I want to handle them. 
So he wants to distrust the Lord. And that might happen, but here's, a, but here's the marker here. We understand the supernatural reality of Jesus. So God is telling us, as a people of God who love Christ, be careful now. Don't act like that toward people and don't have a bad work ethic because I might decide to do the supernatural thing on you. All right? So we don't know what he's going to do. He can let it be gracious and, you just, and your boss just sees you and gets you. Or God says, I'm going to make sure people get you. Or God is just super gracious to you and allows you to experience his grace in another way. We don't know. That makes sense, guys? Okay. Continue on, please. So when you go to uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, and then we're, all, we're, all, we're done, guys, as we look at the scriptures. What Jesus has done in the passage by, um, by his grace through Paul is he's given us this great understanding of what does it mean to handle an employer-employee relationship. He starts by helping us understand how we are to always obey, obeying respectfully, obeying sincerely, obeying heartily. He continues on um, saying we don't please man, we're pleasing the Lord, verse 23. He's helping us understand we work hardly into the Lord. Now we can have a perspective that God sees and will repay us in verse 24 because God is that good. He continues on to say, but be very careful, understanding that God sees all and is intimately involved in our lives. So please know that your God, can, he, he is gracious, but sometimes you will get paid back for what you do. So be very careful. And he continues on to say, but hold on, that's the whole aspect of what the employee is to be about. And just be very careful, you guys who own your own businesses, you guys who have people in your care. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So he ends by saying, now let's be really clear here, don't think I'm not seeing you as well, those of you who own or who have influence. Okay, or who uh, who will have influence? And the whole what's beautiful here is that the adage is true, man. Like it's so good. Hopefully, by God's grace, when you when you can follow well, you will lead well, right? And so uh, I'm proposing we're to be just, fair, and do good. That's what this scripture is saying. And and in a nutshell, God is saying, I want you to have Jesus standards. Continue on, please. And, and for those of you who will have influence or do, you do have influence at some level, be aware of authority um, because I, I, I tell you, man, it, it could feed your pride, okay? I, I can confess that as a leader. Uh, we have a lot of leaders in this, in this room, and, and we have a lot of pride in this room, okay? And I want to encourage you that Jesus really wants our disposition to be pursuing passionately humility, Okay? We're, we're a, lot, a lot of us are very competent to, uh, to our degradation, and we need to learn how to experience humble, um, humble authority, right? So, so listen, don't believe the presses, you know, what, the Lord, what people are telling you about yourself uh, because it can really hinder you and how you, how you administer justice and love to people. Um, be approachable and reachable because you're not God. The whole concept there is, is that what's cool um, is, is God, his whole theological point there, guys, is that the reason why you're to be approachable, the reason why you're to be reachable, the reason why you're, you're to be like one of the guys is because you are. You're not God. God is the only other. Who do you think you are? So his point, so the point there is you should, you should have a super humility because you're an image bearer too. I don't care you work with Xerox. God created you. So there should be a humility to that as you lead people. The stewardship, 
that you lead out of serving. Continue on, please. We are set apart for God, not from each other. The, the danger can be as, as, as a leader is you can almost see yourself as like, I'm here, and so the people are here. No, 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 no. That's God's role. Okay? And here's what's cool about the gospel. Then God becomes man <laughs> and then dwells among us. He's the only person that can say, it's cool for me to stay, be other and be here. And then even he comes in the grind and hustles. So how in the world are you going to have any kind of disposition of the people are here and I'm here? And I'm telling you guys, that's a big thing. That's a hard, one of the hardest things for me to serve um, and, 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 like, I have to, like, talk to people and, like, you know, you got to do this fundraising stuff and meet people. I mean, I'm, it's am- I'm amazed at when you do things that are well and you're, and you're successful, I'm, a, I'm just blown away at how arrogant we become. We really think that we did it. And I want to propose in our body, and hear me here, guys, because some of you guys will be really successful. Some of you guys are successful now. You're doing awesome things. And, and man, and I, I fear that at some level you're going to really think that you did it because you're just really smart. You're a doctor just because I'm, I'm, I, I just, I'm a little better than the rest. I'm an engineer because I just got it going on. You know, I got, I'm rich because I just know how to make those deals. And your disposition, your passion should be, man, I'm any of this because of the grace of God. The only reason I'm anything, any school I went to, any of my pedigree, it's because God is gracious. There's nothing that I've done in myself. Can you say that? Can you really say that? That's hard for people to really at a core level believe that. We go, well, kind of, but I am kind of tight here. Uh, this is not a text. We got to go now. I want to propose... Uh, Jesus talks about not showing favoritism, and this is something that uh, hinders. I think this is a big thing in a Christian circle. Um, guys, hear me here. So been in Christian ministry 15 years or so now, actually a little more, and I'm telling you, this is one of the biggies I'm still trying to figure out. Is Christians, we are famous. We should be the Cadillac of how to see what to do and when to do it. And I feel like especially in Christian ministry, we become the pinto. I mean, we always... Try to, we, we can spiritualize having lack of quality. Do you hear me there? We can say, oh, well, you know, when someone's getting on you because you didn't do something, he's not gracious, she's not gracious. Oh, they're so serious. They're, you, know, I, you know, you, you can get all that. And I want to propose, and I've seen this in my own life when I was at Crusade, um, at MacGav. We have to learn as believers, God is saying we are to be the standard. You hear me, guys? You start at Mac garage, it's to be the standard of garages. We, 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 we model that we want you to pay your bills. We, if we give you an invoice, pay me. I, give, I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it well. We don't cut costs. We, we don't allow our employers to be less than total quality out of some weird understanding of grace. I'm amazed. And then we as Christian workers, we got to learn how to know that, man, that's a stewardship issue. It's stewardship for me to have, I feel like, the best job in the world where you guys free me up and you free our staff team up to get, wake up and I get to have my office in my home. That means that if it's 10 o'clock and I feel like I need a little smooching with my wife, I get to kiss her. 
You know what I'm saying? You know, I get to hug my kids when I want to, and I get to be faithful with the job that you guys are expecting us to do. You aren't expecting me to go hang out and look at ESPN and then do a little email here and do a little email here and then talk to two people and think I've had a good day. That's not what you're expecting from your leader, right? Why do we, why do we accept that in the Christian circle? And we think, well, it's just hard. No. We are to be the Cadillac of how we do our work and have our living and do our being. As believers, as our staff team, I want to call us to that gospel-centered level. That we are not perfect, we trust the Lord, but man, we are to be hard workers because it tells the story of the gospel. It tells a gospel story when we're not just saying, well, I'm sorry, and just keep doing the same thing, but we sense, man, that hurts the heart of God. Lord, do something in my heart. Hold me accountable as your leader. Hold our leaders accountable that we will give you an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. That makes sense? Continue on. Continue on, please. We got to get going. Sorry, guys. The reality is he's saying we all have the same master. And as I asked before, this is the question you got to ask yourself as you do life as a believer is what do, how, does, how do you articulate God's grace in your daughter being an awesome musician? You know, is there more talk about her work or God's glory? You know, we got to ask those questions. You follow me? Amen. You got to ask those questions. Being a doctor, being a dentist, who gets more airplay? Who gets more airplay? Being an awesome entrepreneur, who gets more airplay? Which is cool. I tell you with Matthew, man, he's all about Christ. I'm like, man, be quiet. So, just kidding. But we need to ask those questions, guys, right? And we need to have an environment and a culture where we can ask those questions of each other in grace. Making sure we're pointing toward Christ, okay? Continue on, please. Continue on. I've already said that. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, again, being created in Imago Day together, God's point is you all, we're all slaves. We're all bought with the price, the scriptures say in Corinthians. So how are you going to act like you, we all slaves? You see that? Continue on. Here's the biggie. It's all about gospel, all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. If you are new here, Everything we do is about Christ. Our heart is that we want Christ to be known. We want you to worship Christ at a heart level, seeing that he is your king, he is your sustenance, he is your all in all. And this is the question you have to ask yourself is, are we doing this? Is our obedience and submission, we have to know that it is a witness to our submission to a higher authority. All we're doing by submitting is just telling the gospel story. And, you can, and learn how to articulate that. People see you working well. People see you doing things. Talk about who you really submit to. You're not just cool. You didn't just do something good. Don't make, it's the, resist the urge to have people think a lot about you. People say something cool about you. <laughs> I know. Take that time to deflect, to reflect and say, thanks for that encouragement. Let me point you to the Savior. Let me point you to the one who's really doing this thing. Be about gospel as you live and have your being, guys. As you're getting these accolades, as you're becoming leaders, don't get full of yourself. Be gospel. Allow MacAb to be a church when you're doing custom business development and everything you're doing, people are hearing the gospel. They asked you the question. You can answer it truthfully. 
hey, what we're going to do right now, we're going to have, uh, think about that. We're going to have tithing offering, okay? And then we're going to pray, we're going to sing, and then uh, we're going to head down. Hope you guys um, have a good